0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian.
1: Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, and I'm Zach.
0: Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. All right, well, hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Thanks for joining us for another episode of Achieving Christian Thought. Um, We're happy to have you here. Um, As always, if you want to interact with us, uh, definitely visit our website, theactpod.com. Or you can easily find us on our Facebook page, um, the Achieving Christian Thought um, podcast on Facebook. But yeah, definitely drop us a message, uh, drop us a line. And um, by the time you're hearing this, hopefully now we're finally published on Apple Podcasts. So. Um, hopefully, you're, you're listening to us there or found us there. That's been an uphill battle, but um,
2: very uh, uphill, trying like to 90 ex- degrees <laughs> 90 trying to degrees. expand
0: our, our footprint across more platforms. But uh, yeah, thanks for having us. And as always, I have Robert and Zach with us. And Voila. so, uh, what do y'all have for us
1: tonight? Hey, guys, um, so tonight we are talking about. Um, the little bit that we can talk about it it's one of the more mysterious aspects of the scripture but there's a reality touched on a little bit known as the divine council so we're going to be talking about um, these spiritual beings that surround the God of the Bible and they answer to him and usually we think of things in very very shallow black and white terms in the Christian world we think of angels and we think of demons and one good, one bad. Uh, If you want to use a Western metaphor, white hat, black cat, the sheriff and the outlaw, and that's that. And yet there's so much more depth and mystery and richness to the spiritual reality that the Bible actually discloses. So we're going to be talking about the divine counsel and just perhaps the spiritual side of scripture altogether. Simply because there's so little and yet there's so much uh, information that tantalizes us as, as well. Little hints that, you know, we can, the little things that allow, allow us room to speculate and yet uh, so little uh, information that's actually given in comparison to other topics. But we're going to be talking about those mysterious aspects of scripture.
2: Glory. Oh, glory. Glory day.
1: <laughs> glory day, oh. So, um to start this this conversation out, I mean, uh, we could probably open up with a basic discussion of spirituality according to scripture itself uh, to address the, what I've already touched on, the, the cookie cutter mentality that many Christians have when they come to the scripture. We, we have this idea that we have it all figured out. It's all um, good and bad uh, things on the Hallmark Channel. Um, angels come to serve God, demons come to destroy God's plans. And now, and, and of course, all those things are true. I don't need to start off with the end. That yeah. That's not but <laughs> Okay, guys, now true. now
2: let's get into some heresy. <laughs> heresy, they're gray areas. No, no, they're not.
1: But uh, <laughs> but uh, what I'm getting at is we, we behave as though we have plunged the depths of all there is to know about the spiritual world, and yet it's absolutely not true. I actually think back to... Um, a lecture video series I saw by a scholar named uh, Michael Heiser. And what he does is he just kind of touches on the fact that uh, the spiritual side of scripture, it's usually so mysterious to us and so misunderstood to us that one valid temptation, now you can focus too much on it, but one valid temptation is to go the opposite direction and try not to focus on it at all. And there is a, a, a good Saw a good uh, credibility to that in the sense that the main focus of Scripture is meant to be our relationship with God. He is the foundation of all these things. He created all things spiritual, all spiritual things that are sentient in this universe. They all answer to Him, uh, whether in obedience or in judgment. And so the focus should always be on God. Even Paul in the New Testament mentioned the danger of uh, people who are part of angel cults. They had. Um, a great host of angels that were being worshipped as more than they deserved to be worshipped. And, of course, uh, this, the, the biblical worldview actually says that some of the earliest hints of non-biblical religion in human history were uh, demons who came forth and basically, uh, uh, basically uh, messed around with the earliest generations of humans kind of uh, – Deceived them into believing things that weren't true about a host of different things, so uh, ancient pagan uh, ancient idols being uh, the influence of early demons,
2: and and you know there's also the there's the narrative talking about uh, Genesis six, talks about how um, angels came down, or at least there is an interpretation of that passage of scripture talking about angels coming down and having sexual relations with women and things of that nature. And so this kind of feeds into that some uh, idea of that as well.
1: Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the things that uh, that uh, we're kind of discussed in the lecture series is just the idea that we can't know everything, but that doesn't mean we don't have to be uncomfortable with knowing something. Because if God did not want us to know anything about the spiritual world, he never would have even mentioned it. And yet mention it, he does do. Um, We can throw out a few examples. Um, One thing we're going to be talking about in depth, it would be the divine counsel, uh, the thing I mentioned when we first opened the episode. But um, all these things basically to start us off with the idea that um, you know there are so many uh, rich spiritual realities that are probably out there, uh, all underneath uh, Yahweh's authority, the God of the Bible. But uh, it's so big and mysterious, and yet uh, you know there, there's uh, just a whole other side to the reality in which we live. Now, uh, Zach, since you brought up the example from Genesis six, I'll take let you take it from there and kind of go a little more in depth about. Uh, what you know about the discussion about that those verses, they are very mysterious verses. Uh, I, lo- I know a lot of pastors who would be preaching a series through Genesis, and they would be tempted to skip the first verses of Genesis 6 because they're so odd and off the wall and hard to interpret. And yet, if the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to write those verses, we've got to address the fact that they are there for some reason. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you can. I'll let you take that with Genesis 6, and then I'll pick up another um, example elsewhere in Scripture that talks about uh, some of these less known spiritual realities.
2: Okay. <clears throat> yeah, so um, one, uh, as I've already mentioned, this, this passage of Scripture is in Genesis 6, um, and it basically essentially says that uh, the sons of God came down and had relations with the sons and daughters of man. Um, now the thing that a lot of people have, I mean, there's two basic interpretations. The first interpretation is that is actually two different human people groups. In other words, because you have the line of Seth, um, who was the son that replaced Abel after Cain killed Abel, and you have the line of Cain, um, and that was a line of people also that uh, there was a lot of innovations that happened through that line, such as music and things like that. But it was off. Uh, some people speculate that the reason why that there was so much innovation happening with the, the line of Cain was because there was um, uh, less focus on God and more focusing on the world around them and what they can use and change and craft and and just basically finding different avenues of um, focus, basically, so to speak. So, like, you know, somebody comes up and starts thinking up of music, and and various other things whereas the line of Seth really just kind of focuses more on just worshiping God and and doing, you know, the the cultivation of the sheep and things of that nature. And so one interpretation of Genesis 6 is actually that these two groups start to commingle. So you have the line of Seth and the line of Cain and that they start to intermingle that way. So that's one interpretation. Of that. And then the other interpretation, uh, and I'll also give a reason why people support this other interpretation of Genesis 6 is that angels came down from heaven in rebellion from what God wanted them to do, and that they took advantage of women um, and uh, various degrees of whether it was rape or consensual. You know, basically, they did what they ought not to have done. Um, One of the reasons why some hold this view is because the word, I can't remember the Hebrew word, but the Hebrew word is only used one other time in the scriptures, and it's in the book of Job, and that word in the book of Job refers to angels. So it's kind of like, And then, whenever you're doing interpretation, whenever you're doing biblical study, you look at the word, the word that's used in the context and the the sentence of and the words around it, kind of like to get the idea of what the word means. And then you also look at other places in the scripture where that word is used. So it's kind of like, and you you have this other instance. There's only one other instance in the scripture. And it has to refer to the angels because it's talking about how um, Satan comes before the sons of God. So it's like, unless you go into a really, really, really odd interpretation of that, it, that obviously clearly means angels in the Book of Job, talking about you know Satan comes before the uh, these sons of God, talking about angels. So it's kind of like. That's where the idea is, and it's also represented in Jewish folklore. There's a lot of, the book of Enoch is an, an example of that. It's a um, pseudopigrapha, in other words. It was not written by Enoch, but it was a book written by a Jewish person under the name Enoch. And it basically disclosed a lot of... Um, the giant philosophy and things of that nature that kind of like permeates the Jewish idea behind that. And so that's one example of where we kind of see like this weird event that where these angels came down from heaven and, and intermingled with humans and the result is these potentially demonic forces, maybe even... Um, supernatural humans where maybe even where we get the ideas from Hercules or something like that from you know like where these people are stronger than they should be stronger than they ought to be or taller than they ought to be what have you and, and the only answer for that for those people in that day and time was there was something supernatural happening um, so that's the instance in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 6
1: Thank you, Zach. So uh, you have this very early uh, example of a mysterious passage that um, Jews and Christians have struggled to really interpret and grapple with ever since, uh, all the way back in the days of Noah, which is some of the earliest days of human history. And so that is the more wicked side of things, um, something that Uh, You know, not necessarily what we would probably consider uh, a demon in the sense of possession and yet something definitely against God and hoping to cause a little harm to the human race. Uh, The New Testament mentions that these very same beings were judged by God for what they did. Now to flip that on the other side, there are also uh, those forces that are for God, those that still serve him out of obedience, those who are still... Uh, in favor of upholding humans and their dignity. Uh, it could be argued that uh, if if this was a demonic presence uh, trying to insert some kind of uh, foreign agent into human DNA, it would be something to try to have a some kind of warfare against the human race as it is known. In other words, something to try to pollute and uh, mar the human race as we're known genetically. Now, then there are those that are uh, always on God's side and trying to uh, ben- benefit the human race in what they do. And so this kind of finally brings us around. We're going to talk about angels, of course, the the, the immediate go-to in scriptural ta- uh, discussion. But before we get to that, uh, a topic that's very less known is the divine counsel. So you have a group of uh, spiritual beings. We don't know what they are. They might fall into the loose category of what we would call an angel, and yet we they are spiritual, but we don't know exactly what they are. But they're definitely sentient, and they're definitely um, on God's side. They're obedient to Him. They're loyal to Him. They're willing to reach out to humanity in beneficial ways. And uh, there are hints of the council uh, known throughout Scripture, some more obvious, some less obvious. I've actually heard a scholar try to argue that uh the discussion among god in genesis uh let us create man in our image now this has been traditionally understood as the trinity talking among themselves but i've actually heard a scholar or two uh designate that this might be god uh sharing his thoughts with the divine council itself uh there are problems with that because the human race is made in god's image strictly not in the image of the whole divine council Uh, and yet, uh, based on other topics, that's one of the earliest passages that that has been suggested. Uh, One of the more obvious ones would actually come much later in uh, Jewish history in the book of 1 Kings. In 1 Kings 22 in particular, we see an instance in which uh, a divine council is obviously brought around God, and some of their function and purpose is kind of brought to light. It's Uh, A a group of beings that have been brought together in order to uh, commune with God, share their ideas with God, which is something we never really uh, come to terms with in, you know, popular Christian thinking. Uh, We always think of the good beings as things that simply sing his praise, which it is there in Scripture. We always think of these things just giving a message to human beings, uh, which is there in Scripture. And yet um, we also see this council come together in 1 Kings 22. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to get rid of an evil human king. Uh, If the name Ahab rings a bell, uh, now most people would also recognize that name as the main character from Moby Dick. But he, he got his name from scripture. It was the name of a wicked king who was known for going to war with the prophet Elijah. Uh, Ahab rose up. Uh, his his wife is uh, listed among some of the most wicked names in all of history. His wife Jezebel, even more famous than his name.
2: And if by chance if you are looking for a name to name your daughter, do not name her Jezebel. It might sound pretty, but it's not. <laughs> Be
1: a rebel. Just, just go for it. Just saying. <laughs> your daughter will not share that name with anyone else if you're brave enough i'm just saying but (laughs) but um it gets to the point where god has has to depose of these people uh physically judge them in order to preserve the the purity of israel because what they're doing is they're trying to bring this defiling pagan worship into uh israel into israeli uh religion and and culture and to the fact where it's uh destroying worship of the one true god and which is why god rose up elijah elijah tries to proclaim that you know the god of the bible is the one true god trying to turn people's hearts back around to to the one who established their nation ahab and jezebel fight him tooth and nail uh jezebel threatens his life and he has a a great uh dark moment of the soul because of his fears but uh, it all comes around to God Himself and what His plan is with Ahab, and so God decides that He's going to send Ahab into a war, a battle that He knows, in His sovereignty, that Ahab will not survive. This is uh, definitely not God's ideal, but it's something that God is uh, knows that He has got to do in order in order to preserve the entire nation. Because if these two are allowed to go any further down the path that they're going in the seat of influence that they have, the entire nation is going to be compromised for generations. And so he brings this, and the the interesting part, the reason I bring this story up is he brings this council together, and he shares his ultimate goal with the group. He tells these beings that, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring Ahab to this battle, And so now you've got the discussion between God's sovereign rule and human free will because he asks these beings, I've brought you here together kind of as a jury to convene and offer ideas. Your ideas, I'm listening to them now, how are we going to get Ahab to that battle? Now, if God was fully sovereign in the hardcore Calvinistic sense, he could just override Ahab and autopilot him to the battle. Uh, you know, put it in his heart just overnight that he's going to go fight this, and, and Ahab has no choice. And yet, they're trying to think of ways to make Ahab choose in his own free will to go exactly where God wants him. And so they deliberate, and there's this anonymous being, some spiritual being, the scripture literally just calls it a spirit, spooky, comes before Ooh. God <laughs> and says, I have an idea. And he says, I am going to speak to Ahab's false prophets. These are the wicked pagan prophets, the soothseers that he's surrounded himself with to basically push the word of God away in Israel. And he says, the spirit says, I'm going to go to his prophets and give him a false, uh, false prophecy. I'm literally going to lie to Ahab through his prophets. I'm going to give his prophets this message that, he is going to go to this battle, and he's going to be great and victorious. And when Ahab hears the, the false prophets say what he already hopes they say, he wants to hear that he's victorious. It strokes his ego. He'll go to this battle, and he will fall. And God actually says, and he doesn't just say, I approve of the idea. He literally says, I know that this will work. I already know in my sovereignty that this will work. Do it. And he gives the spirit permission to go and and whisper falsehoods to his prophet. And the prophet goes to Ahab. Ahab goes to the battle. And Ahab doesn't come out of it alive. And through that spirit and his uh, own personal idea, God uses that to bring about his will uh, among the humans in Israel. And so there's this interesting episode that, uh, you know, what can we actually take away from it? We take away from it that these things have sentience. These things actually have thoughts. Um, independently, and I'll say that very carefully, independently of God. Now, the fact that they have sentience at all depends on God's creation of them, obviously, but just like us, they can think for themselves. They can decide for themselves. It explains a lot about how the good and the bad spirits chose their sides. They weren't put on certain sides of a chessboard by God. They chose where they would go by their own volition, and these things actually are convening with God and so the question that I would want, want to raise reading this is, one, why would humans bother to know this? Why would the Holy Spirit want us to know this episode? This is something we don't have to know. It confuses us more than anything. All we have to know is that God wanted to judge Ahab, and he did it at the end. Um, why would he actually convene with these beings? If he already knows what he's going to do, if he already knows what's going to work, why didn't he just command the Spirit to go? Why did he ask the Spirit and wait for him to come up with the idea himself? And one of the great takeaways that doesn't go into because it can be easy to go into speculation, and then we're sitting here talking fiction for an hour, which is easy to do, very easy. What if it's a Atlantis and you know and just <laughs> cults have literally spawned from this stuff, and um it's really just Christian sci-fi rather than actual Bible teaching, but one thing we can definitely come from this is just the idea that God is a God of relationship. He actually wants to invite not just us, but he wants to invite these beings, whatever they are, into relationship with him. He invites them to have the bravery to come before him and with confidence share these kinds of ideas. Um, He knew that the spirit would have the idea, and so he waited for the spirit to kind of claim ownership, the spirit to kind of show a little bit of leadership among its peers. And so we have this idea that God wants a relationship not only with the humans, but also with those spirits that have chosen not to betray him and fall away. And so he's holding on to these relationships both on the earth and behind it, whatever that looks like. And so for us as humans, we can learn this idea that, you know, since he wants relationship with all of these other beings, how much more can we be confident he wants relationship with us who've been made physically in his image who walk the physical earth uh, it's why he sent his son into the world was so that you know the death of the son would bring about uh, a renewed relationship with those who've been broken it's a whole different uh, ball game from these spiritual beings the spiritual beings make their decision and they're stuck with it there's no getting out of it the humans they are spawned by uh, you know becoming one cell and they grow and they develop unlike the spirit beings. Each person is born with this sin nature that they have to overcome, and yet the Holy Spirit um, uh, uh, can help our hearts to realize the truth of the gospel and come to him through faith. And so these beings, he has a relationship with these beings, and it's an invitation for every last one of us to initiate a relationship with him and to grow deeper in our own relationship with him. And uh, honestly, in a way, Um, our relationship with him can be so much deeper and more meaningful than the relationship of the being simply because we're saved by grace we have a relationship that we don't deserve uh, Simon Peter even wrote in the New Testament in one of his letters that um, angels and he used that word broadly he's including these spirit beings all spirit beings angels look at the situation that the humans are in and they're actually in awe of what we have because they themselves have never seen it among their own And so God is a God of relationship with them and so much more with us. And so, honestly, as crazy as it sounds, when we look deeply at the spirit world, we're holding a mirror up to ourselves. These are sentient beings without bodies, and yet we know what it's like to be sentient. We know what it's like to be able to convene with God. We know what it's like for God to wait for us to have the idea, and as long as it glorifies him. And we know in our hearts it's what he would have us do in accordance with what we know of him in the gospel he gives us the freedom to go do it to his glory. And so, I mean, all of these things wrapped up in this one little passage about a council that he gathered around himself that he did not need. He simply chose to put it around himself for the sake of relationship. And yet, uh, these these situations continue to go on through scripture also. Any other examples you can think of?
2: Uh, um, no, that, that was the first one that really popped in my head the most.
0: Uh, well, I, so... I have one, and this is one so I know when I first read it, I had to read it like 20 times because I was like, I'm sure I'm not reading this correctly, but let's talk about Job 1.
2: Yeah. Okay. Because
0: Job 1, so I know depending on the version, um, the translation that you have, it refers to the sons of God Mm -hmm. uh, convening around him. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And it says, you know, Satan was there. Uh and satan is presenting his stuff as well so is that another example kind of of that council around god and i guess what threw me off the very first time i read that was like does satan have kind of that free reign to come and go because god asked satan you know what have you been doing and he says i've been roaming the earth Mm -hmm. and he was up there now in front of god so and that kind of confused me a little bit of, you know, why would Satan be allowed, <laughs> you know, on this council in, in God's presence? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I thought, you know, he would be permanently kind of banished. And so if you, you know, not to put you on the spot or anything, mm-hmm. but uh, whatever insights you have, because that's always confused me a little bit, that, that Job won. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, I
2: would say that um, there is an interpretation in um the book of revelation that talks about there's that final battle of heaven and earth no excuse not heaven and earth but um uh in heaven between basically the angels and the, the the uh angels that choose to follow god and the angels that choose to follow satan and some people interpret that to be in the beginning of creation and others interpret that to actually be at the right before, um, right before the seven years of tribulation, and and basically in in that time, it's not until then that day that when that war happens, when that battle happens, that Satan is actually permanently cast down, completely and totally forever to Earth, and they they kind of argue that Satan can basically if god allows him to now again this is <clears throat> this is speculation this is kind of like you see the example of this you're we're, we're you know we're kind of they are adding our um ideas here but um essentially um satan if god summons satan satan has to come so to speak mm-hmm. and and um which is kinda like what you're talking about in Genesis or um uh Job one. <coughs> Excuse me. And and I would say <coughs> Robert, take over. <laughs> take it. Take it. <coughs> All right. So to kind of
1: pick up oof, yeah, we we're having technical difficulties of the throat, but uh <laughs> while he goes to get a glass of water, I'll try to piggyback on where he was headed, if I can read his mind. But uh, to pick up on uh, where Zach was headed, um, basically talking about uh, the Satan that shows up in the book of Job, and he was talking about Satan being cast out of heaven. Um, he was going down the road of saying there are many different interpretations of it. And that's that's always the case. When you get non-obvious uh, scripture, there's always the next interpretation. There are always a whole little council of interpretations, if you want to say that. And um, One debate with the casting out of Satan. Um, in Revelation 12 is what he's talking about. Did this occur at the beginning? And I'm talking Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden beginning. Or did this does this occur during the actual tribulation of Revelation? Now this is just my opinion. But since I'm the one running my mouth. I'll, I'll just throw that out as a freebie. My personal interpretation is this is the beginning. I think this was when Satan first chose to fall. When it says Michael cast him from heaven. Um, most people, of course, interpret this as once and for all. Uh, me personally, I think this was just him being cast out of heaven as one of God's servants. He is no longer a servant, and yet, if you kick someone out the out of the house and do not lock the door, someone could stumble in while you're sleeping. And so, I see this as Satan was cast out. He's no, he's welcome, but he's no longer one of them. And so, the point being that Satan is not a threat to God. He's obviously in absolute control. He knew Satan was among them when he snuck in in Job. So fast forward from the beginning to Job 1. uh, We're basically seeing this. this uh, Canonically speaking, the appearance of Satan in Job is actually the first time he appears since the Garden of Eden. He was always there working behind the scenes. But he doesn't come out behind the curtain onto stage, if you want to use the metaphor of a play, until Job 1. And so... My personal opinion of how this plays out is I do think that's the council. I think the council have gathered. um, The sons of God was actually a very famous Jewish euphemism for the angels. And that's why so many scholars have considered this must be the angels in the presence of God. It makes a lot more sense since humans literally can't do that. And so the angels are gathered, um, all these beings, and Satan uh, has snuck in among them and God has allowed it. God has allowed he he intentionally left the door unlocked. He knows where this conversation is going. He knows the entire book of Job is going to someday hinge on this conversation. And if you don't know what the conversation is, um, I would encourage you, obviously, to go read the book of Job. But uh, Satan, um, this is not a name. This is a title. It, it literally means the accuser, the Satan. And so some scholars, again, always the the little battle of interpretation. Some people actually try to argue this is not the Satan we know about. It's an anonymous accuser, some spirit. And so then there are those who, then the next question is, well, if this is not the devil himself, if this is an anonymous accuser, I I actually tend to think that this really is just the devil himself. People overthink it. But uh, for those who don't agree with me, Then they ask, well, could this be something that actually serves God? Could God intentionally use one of his own beings to tempt people into sin in order to bring about his glory? Is it doing the will of God? Again, I think they're overthinking it. This is the Satan, the enemy of God who is tempting people because he wants to tempt people, not because God commanded him to. God's allowing him to do this without destroying him it's a much simpler in my mind a much simpler explanation than trying to play unsolved mysteries on tonight's episode but uh and so this this being we know as the satan uh tradition calls him lucifer based on a verse from isaiah that's another long story but the the one and only satan uh we know this for sure because of the episode with jesus he preaches and says satan as a person, is the father of lies, and he preaches him as if he is one entity that started all of this. And then you have Revelation 12, which describes his grand coup and his his battle with Michael and his falling out, literally. But um, Satan approaches Job, and the whole conversation is just very interesting if you're not ready for it. I mean, God is the one who gives him the idea to tempt Job. He says... He, it's not like um, Satan had this malicious intent against Job to begin with. God, knowing what's going to happen, plants the seed in Satan's own mind, as if you considered my servant. And so some people would consider this, at, at a shallow reading, they would consider this unjust of God or just an example of um, people writing religious fiction and not really thinking through the implications of what they say about their hero. But there's so much more going on here. God knows that, and again, it all boils down to relationship. Those that love him and those that hate him. He wants to give Satan one more thing under his belt that will go against him at the judgment. He wants to give Job this opportunity to shine, no matter how ugly it's going to be for the moment. Job does have a happy ending for him. The book of Job exists because he went through this experience. And it all started with God simply dropping this rhetorical question on Satan, knowing Satan's heart, knowing what where he would go with this, knowing that Job would react uh, in a flawed way but a favorable way. And in the end, it was literally just one more slap towards Satan because God he he just put down he just put down the carrot and watched the rabbit chase. And so, you have God working with this counsel, working with this Satan. And uh, honestly, it's kind of an episode where you see both sides of that coin interacting. Those who adore the father and those who despise the father gathered into one heavenly realm and gathering for different purposes. And so you have those who convene with him and you have those who have come before him to to literally challenge him to his face and to to mock him, to um, smear um, you know, human accusation, what would hurt him, you know, whatever, whatever Satan is able to do to try to throw little darts at God, he'll do it. But, um, I think God called him out to be honest, because he's convening with these council members. He's asking them, you know, what have you been doing in my service? And then he asks Satan. It's almost as if Satan was the next one in line, but knowing who Satan is and the fact that, he was cast out of heaven as his servant. He was cast down to roam the earth. I think God kind of knowing he was there, he kind of called him out by name. And, you know, stop hiding. I know you're here. Come forward. Exposing him and then putting him on the spot in front of all the other beings. It's like, what have you been doing? Mm-hmm. And I think God wanted to, he already knew it, but I think God wanted to hear it. He wanted to hear Satan say it in his own words. What While these other beings have been, you know going around bringing your glory about slowly bringing human history to send your son to it i've been roaming about trying to destroy it and you know he wants to look Satan in the eyes and hear him say this and um now this is this is speculation it's possible i'll say it slowly so no one thinks this is bible teaching this is just sanctified speculation
2: it's, amen amen
1: <clears throat> it's possible This may have been the first time those two locked eyes since he was cast out at the Garden of Eden. It may have been the first time he's been in the presence of God since that time. Because we believe Job to be the earliest book in the entire canon. Job himself, they speculate, may have lived during the time of Abraham who lived well before Genesis was penned. So if this is true, it's possible that Satan may have come into his presence for the first time and the one question God had the, the one question God has for him is what have you been doing since we last met and you know what what do you think about my servant Job this is now remember Job's situation this is pre-Israel someone who stands out like a Noah like a Job they stick out they stick out like a sore, thr- sore thumb they're not a Jew among Jews these are people who worship the ultimate God that you we would consider him the Jewish God but he's the God of the whole world in the middle of people who just do not care. This is a generation that they know something is out there, but they've forgotten him hook, line, and sinker. There is no Abraham yet. There's no promise yet. It's coming, but this is a time before the law. And so the fact that this Job has a relationship with the true God, we don't know exactly how he learned about the true God pre-law. It's possible this was instinctual and he rejected the, the idols of his of his family. That's very possible. And, you know, based on the knowledge that he had access to, God may have honored that. I mean, he knew what to do, what not to do, that God demands a sacrifice, that God is holy. Uh, Very generic things we would literally call general revelation, things you can know instinctively about God, just having his image inside your soul.
2: And also being willing to... um, pray for his own children in case they might have sinned against the Lord. So he even made provision for, uh, Job made provision for his own children and things of that nature to indicate that he was really a man who sought out, you know, trying to honor the Lord himself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, I mean, who knows? He may have had a prick of conscience seeing the the idols around him and all the nasty flaws and worshiping these idols and knowing this is not right and his own children People, you know, worshiping a, a, a deity like Molech, literally sacrificing their children to this thing, uh, throwing babies into fires to to burn as an incense to up to Molech. And I'm sure Job had something in his heart that said, yeah, God demands a sacrifice, but it is not this. Mm. It is not this. Amen. Amen. And I'm so glad it's not. Um, yeah. Just... The lottery. Will you be thrown in the fire, or will you be allowed to grow up? I mean, goodness. But well, uh,
2: no, that's that's modern day. I mean, not to get into a political issue, but that's modern day America right now.
1: Hey, but um, but uh, moving on to the topic of, uh, you know, those who have opposed God. We talked about Satan and Job. We've we can move on talking about Satan in Revelation twelve, like Zach brought up earlier, and I carried the the mantle with that. <laughs> um, another one. I mean, Revelation describe. Revelation is really the the thing that ties it all together because the dragon is known as Satan. That is his metaphor in Revelation, and in one verse, John just uh, the the author he just brings this great um, revelation, boom boom to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to a head, ha ha. But uh, I mean, he he just kind of retcons the whole story. He says this dragon bringing forth the Antichrist at the end, who is also the serpent, who is also Satan. So it's like the you see these players show up, the talking snake, you see the Satan, the accuser show up. Uh, the San, the Satan also shows up in the book of um, Zechariah because the prophet sees a little glimpse of the courtroom of God and the Satan is still accusing people. And then he brings in uh, the Satan who tempted Jesus, the Satan who actually literally possessed Judas Iscariot. It's it subtle. says it in
2: the scriptures.
1: says it in the scriptures. It's subtle, but it's there. Satan entered into Judas, gave him the idea, and Judas freely went for it. Satan thought he was winning by sending Jesus to the cross. He had no idea how quickly he was killing himself. But, um, <clears throat> you know, he bought he bought the bait hook, line, and sinker. And then you fast forward all the way to the Satan who, you know, brought about the persecution of Christians, the Satan who tried to devour the early Christians by earthly means, all that comes to a head when these mysterious figures, which could have easily been known as different characters in the play, John makes it clear in this final revelation of the canon, he says that these are all one. The Satan is the serpent, is the dragon, is that guy. And so he keeps showing up. And he, uh, the Jews understood him eventually to be the grand leader of all these things that have gone against him. Now, there are a couple of chapters in the Old Testament, one from Isaiah, one from Ezekiel. Mm. And what they do is in context, they are poems that declare uh, prof- prophetic doom against evil human kings. And that's confused a lot of people because you read the poem and you would swear on your, your granny's foot that, uh, <laughs> that was a random phrase. I okay. just threw that out there. You'd My s-
2: grandmother's foot, okay. I, I started
1: to say your mama's future grave. I was like, that might be a little too bleak, but that, more common. Yeah, yeah that's, but a more common. Bleak. Come on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. You, you swear, bad. you swear, it's a, a, okay, it's bad. <laughs> We're talking about the devil, so it fits. But, uh, you <laughs> yeah. swear upon a stack of Iwanas. that made no sense. <laughs> I need to move on. <laughs> I lost my train of thought completely. Oh, uh, that's fun. But uh,
0: that's our next project is we're just going to publish a Robert's book of idioms. Yes. Uh, just all these phrases.
1: I just make I this know, up yeah, and then give it. myself time to regret it later. <laughs> At least you'll never forget it. It's like
2: I- I've known Robert for 12 years and I tell you it's like you think like he's achieved like there's no way. There's no way he can think of anything more like want to scratch your head slash go, what? <laughs> and then suddenly he bridges that gaps gap and proceed, <laughs> succeeds it. You're like, where did that come from? Nowhere. The dark like, recesses in my subconscious. I mean, your grandmother's <laughs> foot? Your granny's foot. And that's, that's really light compared to some of the stuff <laughs> I've heard you say before. I mean, we work together a lot, and... I've heard him say some stuff like, really, dude? I th- that I actually kind of borderlines uh, something heretical there. <laughs> borderline insanity, like certifiable. Or that, we yeah. We would give you a little paper and send you to a safe place. But <laughs> yeah, let's get you a nice, warm, cozy jacket. <laughs> uh,
1: but, um, but seriously, where was I headed with this?
2: Uh, you're talking about uh, the passages of Tyre, wherever... Um, they parallel Satan.
1: Thank you. Yes, you read the poems <laughs> <laughs> and you would swear upon something bizarre that uh, this must be Satan. This is the guy we know. This is the guy that tr- church tradition is always labeled as Lucifer, the great faller. He was there at the beginning. He was God's prize cherub. He was the greatest angel. He was literally where Michael used to be, if not higher. Um, he was God's right hand r- directly beneath the sun himself and
2: yet he probably even could be part of the this mysterious council
1: yeah i mean probably the 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 non-divine head of the council if that makes sense the head elf beneath santa um
2: okay if that's funny too i said it and i meant it but but uh like i said there it is there it is you don't think he can go higher and then he hits an octave higher yeah But uh, you read this, and I mean,
1: he fell. He was there in the Garden of Eden. He's been tempting the human race ever since. This obviously sounds like what we understand to be Satan, but God's applying it to these human kings. And so people, scholars have scratched their heads. Now, the way that many have understood it, and I personally think this is the cleanest way to understand it, he's intentionally bringing up references to Satan to condemn the human kings. He's saying... You, human king, must repent because you are like Satan. You've fallen like Satan.
2: You are literally setting yourself up as a god, and I am the only god just like Satan set himself up.
1: Oh, yeah, and if if Satan can fall and he was no god, then you yourself are going to fall. You have no idea how powerful Satan is, and yet if his power can lead to a fall, your fall is about to be that much more tragic. And so he's warning these kings. And I personally think the original Jewish audience would have understood wholeheartedly, yeah, he's talking about Satan. I mean, uh, I've already mentioned Santa Claus, but I describe him, you know, a jolly man in a red suit gives presents at Christmas. You're not going to think that's Robin Hood. That's Santa (laughs) Claus. That is Santa Claus. And so the Jewish audience would read this. They say, oh, that's Satan. That's the Satan. That's the serpent. That's him. And so we have this image of where he came from, from these little in out of context condemnations of human kings. And so we have this idea that the Satan that the Jews have come to understand that they understood in Jesus' lifetime when he came and condemned Satan by name. We have this being that has led a revolt. All these other things, these spiritual beings that chose to move against God, they all followed his suit. And so now they serve either serve him Or even if they serve simply themselves, they're subject to his original authority over them as the chief usurper, the chief one who decided to turn the tide against God. And God already knew it. He already had a plan. His demise is imminent. It's already guaranteed through the cross. And so now he is literally doing what he says he did in the book of Job. He's wandering the earth, biding his time, seeing who who among the humans he can drag with him and, the way and how and how and he has gotten very clever mm-hmm. so good at it nonstop practice for millennia after most people who've got i mean think of the most brilliant person in history and they passed away in, in merely decades old imagine satan millennia old going after the same career he would <laughs> he's the best in his field mm. but uh we have this being and he is the the chief of all of them and he's led this revolt, and so what they are doing is, since they literally had no chance against God, ego made them believe for even a second they had the chance to. Maybe they thought their numbers would count against three. Maybe these seven trillion angels can rise up against just these three persons on the throne, and they were yeah. way wrong, wrong, deadly wrong. They, f-
2: <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's like God had the the ability and power to create all things. From nothing, which is what Chris classic Christian think... Cra- my goodness. Classic Christian thought is that God created everything out of nothing so he didn't use part of himself. He didn't use something that existed before him or whatever. He literally created out of nothing. So if he can create all this out of nothing, then all this is subject to him. And all these other little uh, things that are more powerful than humans... Way more powerful than us, but still don't hold a comparison at all compared to the one true God.
1: Oh, yeah. And it harkens back to one of my favorite passages of Scripture, just because it's so spooky, is uh, from the book of James. He mentions um, good for you if you believe in God in your head. He's talking about holding knowledge in your brain that God exists without letting it impact your life. He says good for you. If you go around believing in God in your head the same way you believe in calculus, he said, even the demons believe that and they shudder. And he's he's basically saying if you're believing in God and yet you refuse to obey him, in a way, you're even more flippant and radical than these demons because at least they know enough to apply it in fear and terror.
2: And know that their hour is coming. There is a day it's coming where they will face... The, the the man upstairs, so to speak, and and have to give account. I mean, that's why whenever Jesus casts out the um, uh, the gathering demoniac and all those um, unclean spirits, they immediately like are like, this is not the hour, this is not the time. Please cast us into the pigs. And Jesus is like, go, and they do, and they they enter those pigs and drown themselves in fear, because they know that when the hour comes. They don't. Party is over. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the things that they get away with right now and the things that we as humans don't even see that they're their involvement in. Maybe someone picks up a gun and goes into a school and kills a bunch of kids, you know, or what have you. And we don't see the spiritual implications of that, but there'll come a day when they'll be held accountable for it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's absolutely true. And. That's why in their spare time, knowing that the end is coming and coming quick, they have no escape for it. All they can do is just sit around, uh, almost like in a long waiting room waiting for a, an appointment.
0: Just trying to drag as many others down with
1: them. As many as they can. And that, what's wild is I don't believe that they do this to make themselves feel better. I don't think they do this simply out of sport, though I'm sure they find it very fun. They They hate us to a core. Uh, they hate everything, but they accept themselves to a core. I think the main reason they do this, the main reason they tempt humans, the main reason they try to harm humans, the main reason sometimes in extreme cases they even possess humans, they the main thing they get out of it is knowing that it harms God. Uh, they're kind of like little kids throwing rocks at a tank. They know that they can't get in there and hurt the soldiers, but they are going to do something to dent the metal in some way. They can't touch God so they're going to hurt God emotionally and they went straight for his children in Eden and they've been coming after us ever since. Um, And so you have these that are on his side and these that are very much not on his side led by one very powerful but doomed being known as the Satan to Scripture and someone who has been toe-to-toe with Christ many, many times and yet has ultimately faced his doom. Now all that to come to the end, it says that uh, now we have the council anticipating our entrance into, you know, his worship. Someday it says we will worship with angels. It even says we'll judge angels. I personally believe that we will stand side by side with the good entities uh, as we agree with God as he passes judgment on the evil entities. I me mean, we will stand in judgment on angels. And so beings that have been directly in his presence, as close as I am to this microphone, to God in his purest form, they will be judged by us because they chose against him. And we have chosen those of us who've chosen Christ, have chosen for him, even though we haven't seen him like that. And so going forward, you know, again, we can apply this. Um, the 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 apply this with the the hope and the assurance that God is a God of relationship both with us and with them uh, chiefly with us we are his I- children made in his image God came in human form not in angelic form he died for us not for the angels the angels have all made their choice each generation of humans gets to make their choice brand new and so we get to enter into this thing that we don't have uh, any ch- any chance of uh being worthy of or uh deserving in any way. And yeah, it says that someday we can join the angels in the sense that we will be worshipers along with them in his direct presence. And so learning about the angels is very important that we understand it's only a secondary thing, but to land the plane, the the, the applications of that, I've already touched on relationship, I don't need to beat a dead horse with it, but you know, the applications of just Knowing that there is another spiritual realm out there, it it gives us an even bigger view of God because not only did he create everything that already blows us away like nebulas and trees and mountains and rivers, but he's even been able to make things that we cannot see and experience with our senses, and yet they're very, very real. And so if there are two dimensions at least, you know, this physical one, you can knock on the table, you can feel it, and an unseen dimension where these things exist, I mean, God could perhaps create, you know, just endless arrays of real dimensions that only he knows about, and, you know, and he would be king over every last one of them. Will you trust him? It, give, it increases our view of God himself. He made them. He sustains them just as he did us. Um, it increases, it kind of increases our hope for the future. Uh, now, our salvation is secured in Jesus alone. I'm not talking about salvation itself, but... The anticipation of our glory, the great hope we have, because we get to know God, we get to know each other, uh, reunited with people you knew, you get to meet people you've never met. And not only do we get to meet fellow humans, fellow believers, the cloud of witnesses, but we also get to personally meet some of these beings that have been in his counsel all along, these beings that have been for us, not against us, these beings who've chosen to love him. We get to call them... um, I don't know if we, if I can say brothers and sisters in the same sense as humans, but we get to call them fellow worshipers. We get to call them new friends as we get to know these personalities. And so it is out there. It is out there, and simply because it exists, it's important to talk about, even if we can't make it a main focus. We can't make every episode, okay, today we're going to talk about this part of angels. We're going to speculate about guardian angels. We're going to speculate about this and that and the afterlife and but we needed at least one episode where we talk about the fact that these things are there, and God gets the glory for every last thing that might be out there that we don't know about. Any th- closing thoughts from you?
2: Um, sorry, I just I've been coughing my head off, so I apologize uh, for not being able to participate as much as I would like to as usual. <clears throat> but <clears throat> no, uh, I think I think you nailed it on the head, Robert. I think I think you really. Um, Picked up the slack for me. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> so, no, I'm good.
1: <laughs> he still appreciates it, even though he can't <laughs> yeah. finish the
2: word. I can't like I finish at, talking without coughing at you. <laughs> I love allergies. They're so glorious. No. <laughs> but uh,
1: yeah. yeah, that uh, I mean, I can't think of a single thing, though, more than hasn't been said. As, as we land the plane, um, don't be afraid to daydream about what your future home will be. Um, and don't be spooked out by the fact that there is a spirit world, but but be very, very ready to use that as a bridge to talk to other people. Mm-hmm. People have probably, you probably more than you realize, have experienced things they cannot explain. And that just immediately points to the idea that there is something behind this physical world, what is it? And it's an exciting opportunity for us as believers. I mean someone shares a ghost story with you go straight to the gospel it's like who Who do you think the ghosts answer to whatever those things might be <laughs> boom conversation encouragement for every last one of you believers who are listening to this and those who aren't believers encouragement to be thinking about the very thing I just asked but uh, that's all I've got for now
0: right, uh, where do we want to head for next episode any ideas of, of where we want to head next more angels No <laughs> 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 yeah
1: Uh, Uh, Name all of the angels from the Apocrypha. But
2: uh, in all seriousness, maybe hit on some parables. Okay.
0: Steph said, because she's been listening to the ones published, she said she really enjoyed the parable episodes. Really? Good, good. She said she really enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, so maybe we'll hit on some more parables. Okay. Yeah, we ahead.
0: haven't done uh, we haven't done parables, and there's uh, plenty left uh, to discuss. Oh so gosh, maybe yeah. We'll yeah. Go back and just hit on some yeah. of those. Kind of lighten up the, the mood, get away from some of this heavier. Oh yeah. Uh, metaphysical stuff a little bit. We
2: don't know about <laughs> angels, but we're going to talk about as much as we can. Yeah, <laughs>
1: we'll take yeah. a break from the spiritual quantum physics to just relax <laughs> and tell a fun story. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right well that sounds excellent um so all of our listeners uh thank you for joining us again um i'll just repeat if you want to visit us uh, definitely go to our facebook page uh, the achieving christian thought podcast or visit our website theactpod.com and uh yeah thanks for listening we'll see you next time
1: see ya oh yeah